from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The natural question is, is it possible this is in the school building? I talked to one parent who wants to take her child to get her blood tested. And I think long term, parents are going to be kind of wondering if this might come up later. Most of those, the, the public had no clue who the Army Corps of Engineers were, and they thought that they were just putting in playground equipment. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Last week, a report found high levels of radioactive materials in Jana Elementary School. That report stunned parents of the Florissant School, and in response, the Hazelwood School District closed the school and moved many students to virtual learning. But there are so many questions left swirling about the report and its findings, as well as what comes next for an area that's long had to deal with the atomic legacy of the nearby Coldwater Creek, which was a dumping site that became home to waste products from the first nuclear bombs made during World War II. At a tense school board meeting last week, Tuesday, Hazelwood School Board President Betsy Rachel promised parents that the district would, wo- that the district would work hand-in-hand hand with them during this difficult transition. We recognize that you were being, being faced with a situation not created by anyone in this room and over which you have no control, and that this is causing a disruption to our students' education and school climate. For that, we sincerely apologize. But that board meeting brought out feelings of frustration and shock at the revelation. Patrice Strickland, who has two kids at Jana, got up to speak during that meeting, and she said the first she learned of the situation was not from the school, but from the news. I'm very, very disappointed with the communication that I've received. I'm happy that you all have a plan now when I tell you that I was so relieved with your plan. I'm so happy that you all are considering our babies now, but just communicate with us. That's all we want is just communication and know what's going on. We don't blame you all for what happened. You weren't even here maybe when it happened. That was back in the 40s. So we don't blame you all, but we do want to hear what's going on because these are our babies and help us to make the right decisions for us. And we can't make the right decisions if we don't know. That was a parent at a school board meeting last week after the revelation that radioactive material had been detected at Jana Elementary School. And we're going to talk more about this situation. And I want to turn once again to Kate Grumke, our education reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Kate, this decision, clearly from the sound of that parent, this was really tough on parents and a complete shock. Um, the one, you know, one of the things you never want to hear uh, from your school. And you spoke to one student, a fourth grader named Jayla Taylor. And she had some thoughts on just the prospect of going back to virtual learning. So I saw my teacher when she was saying this. She was, I knew she was trying to hold in her cry. So um, I was just like my heart had dropped when I heard that I was going virtual because I didn't want to go through virtual even though like I have a computer, even though like I don't want to miss any time of school, you know, with the computer dying in the middle of class or like anything that could happen to my computer because I don't know who's looking at me. So um, I just I just want to um, say like I don't, I don't really like virtual because sometimes my internet connection don't really work but um, after all um, 
I think it will be um, good to be virtual for my own safety. That was Jayla Taylor as a fourth grader at Jenna Elementary School. And Kate, you know, I wanted to ask this question. Jayla and her, her family and lots of kids like her are about to have to go back to virtual learning. How did this radioactive material, this report that was recently uh, you know, announced last week that made this big impact at the school board meeting, where did this report come from and, and what, what did it tell us? Yeah, so this report was from a private firm, Boston Data Chemical Corporation, and um, they sent the report actually to the PTA president, and then she made the report public the Friday before that school board meeting. And the report found radioactive contamination in the school, in classrooms, the kitchen, libraries, on the playground. And so it really scared parents. And I think they also were a little bit confused about the communication that they received, why they were hearing about it from either the PTA president or from local news. And so they went to that school board meeting, I think not expecting the Hazelwood School District to actually close the school. And so many were actually pretty relieved when they heard that news. And, you know, help us explain, help explain a bit more because the presence of, say, lead is something that is, you know, widely known and has been reported on by you in the station. Uh, You'll see signs saying, you know, fences that have lead content. But this report didn't just find hazardous material in in the grounds, but in in the classroom. How, How... how big a deal is, is to see that kind of specificity, not just, you know, in an area it could get into the water, but it's where these kids are. Yeah, I mean, I think that parents were really taking that as a really scary thing to learn about. And I think that obviously we need to be careful about um, being overly nervous about it, I guess. But yeah, I think that parents, I talked to one parent who wants to take her child to get her blood tested because she's wow. worried about how this might affect her health. And I think long term, parents are going to be kind of wondering if this might come up later. Now, to, to your point of, of, you know, what is the appropriate reaction to this kind of report? And I should mention that the Army Corps of Engineers, which has been very active in this area in, in kind of disposing of this waste, uh, that, that has been confirmed to be there in this cold water creek, which we're going to speak about in just a moment. But the Army Corps of Engineers uh, said that this report is not the, the same as what we found. There is kind of a dispute over, uh, you know, this very technical matter of, you know, what is the dangerous level of radioactive waste? At this point, I want to bring in two more voices. Uh, Joining us in studio today are Jared Opsel, Executive Director of the Missouri Coalition for the Environment, and Kristen Camuso, uh, the group's Community Outreach Specialist. Jared, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jared, I wanted to ask you first, this this report that came out, uh, tell us about what, what stood out to you about this and what your take is of the Army Corps of Engineers seeming to say, this isn't what we found. This isn't the danger that we're saying is in this area. Well, it was, I think our fears realized uh, there was a lot of concern and we found out that the Corps had been testing on the grounds uh, years earlier. We weren't sure what the data showed. Uh, Kristen was actually part of our team that submitted a Freedom of Information Act request to get that data to find out what was actually happening on the grounds. And there were concerning levels of radioactive material in those results. Uh, So, you know, speaking with the PTA president and their organization and our other community partner, Just Moms STL, you know, the, the natural question is, is it possible this is in the school building? And can we figure out a way to test this? And 
learn more about this. And I think Kristen might be able to provide a little more detail on that and how we came to that and what happened next. Yeah, please, Kristen. Um, actually, I would just like to point out um, the Corps has never gone inside to test at all. So when they came out at, at first saying that they were appalled by this data, um, they were appalled by it, and that they would send their child to the school, it kind of seemed like they had made up their mind before they even collected their own data, um, which is, is the real cause of why the community is kind of distrustful and um, would like more communications. But I, I find it interesting that they, they, at first, this is, I would just like to point out, this is a peer-reviewed published scientist that, that collected this data. Um, and he, absolutely, the first response should have been, wow, this is very scary and um, telling of what maybe we should go start going inside. In fact, I want to point out that in 2019, the Agency for Toxic Substance and Disease Registry did recommend that if there was contamination found outside on the property, that the Army Corps of Engineers go inside and do sampling of dust within inside uh, buildings. And that hasn't happened until unfortunately national media attention put the pressure on the core to go inside mm. now, to your point you know this the history of, of Coldwater Creek this entire area has really felt like it's had this pattern of the community people there saying something is wrong here people mm. are getting sick there needs to be testing and then the Army Corps of Engineers or other officials you know they drag their feet they say it's not as bad as you think it is and now we are kind of reaping this whirlwind, whirlwind it feels like of decades of these efforts uh, Kristen, tell us a bit about the community outreach you've done and kind of what this kind of incident does to the trust of people living there. Were people already expecting this kind of hammer to drop? And what is their reaction to it? Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of turnover in the area. And so if you're not out there constantly um, in communications with a lot of these people, we did go out just this summer and provide this ATSDR report and the ways to protect yourself, their recommendations. We hit over a thousand homes this last summer and just hand delivered this information. And unfortunately, a lot of the people living there had no idea. I remember if we dating back to when the Army Corps of Engineers first found contamination at St. Sun Park in Hazelwood, and we went door to door there as well. And most of those, the, the public had no clue who the Army Corps of Engineers were, and they thought that they were just putting in playground equipment. So there's this huge disconnect between um, what these agencies are doing, their outreach, their communication, and unfortunately, it leaves community organizations like ours to step in and bridge this gap. And I don't, I don't feel like it's fair for us to be doing that. I mean, obviously, we're going to do this work. It's good work. I have no problems putting myself out in the community, but I still feel like this is the federal government's responsibility to be out here doing this. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, though, this situation you, you've laid out, it includes both the Army Corps of Engineers, which is, you know, has been in this area, is ostensibly in charge of, of actually moving this waste. But you also have the Hazelwood School District that acts immediately based on, on this report, uh, you know, that has been filed in a lawsuit. They didn't wait, sit back and wait for the Army Corps of Engineers to tell them yes or no. They, they went and made a decision. Has the Army Corps, does this tell us something about perhaps a broken trust for the Army Corps of Engineers. Are, are people in this community, like the school board, are they listening to what's coming out from these lawsuits, from these independent uh, research areas, and uh, they're no longer trusting, perhaps, that the Army Corps of Engineers is saying, oh, you're fine, oh, that we haven't tested anything there? Well, I absolutely believe that. It's exactly what happened. And I would say, too, that it, that this goes back to the Corps' actions right off the bat. They knew that this school had contamination on it back in 2018, but didn't send a letter to the Hazelwood School District that there was contamination until January 2022. That's four years that the Corps sat on this data, where now they're in the news saying that they'll have preliminary results of their findings that they're going to collect today in two weeks. So how is it that you can come up with this data in two weeks, but you wait four years to tell the school district that there's contamination on their property? 
So so even outside of this independent this independent uh, analysis, the core confirms there is waste on this property. And at some point, this waste was on the surface. There's still above background on the surface. A kid can go back there. An animal can disturb this. The core likes to use this phrase in its current configuration. It doesn't oppo- uh, doesn't pose an immediate risk. But you can't ensure, they cannot guarantee that these soils remain inaccessible to people. This is, uh, I mean, kids after school also can can go just play on this playground. Mm-hmm. Um, a- anybody can walk onto this property at any given time, and that's just in this one location. You're talking about a creek that's 14 miles long that has contamination. And I wanted to ask you, Jared, this point that, that Kristen just uh, brought up, how big this creek is, how big the, the potential footprint of where these contaminants are going, where is the next step of actually, you know, taking a, a real solution at this large area and perhaps not just waiting for each new school or each new report or, you know, a bunch of people getting sick in the same neighborhoods? Uh, where is an actual uh, a strategy here to resolving this? Yeah, it's, you know, our organization and others are still going to be raising awareness. We have a canvassing event uh, coming up on December 10th for people to go out and share this information. Uh, we also have a film screening we're going to be hosting uh, later on, on November 10th, uh, to talk about this issue and have a Q&A session afterwards to inform people about what's going on. But again, that ultimate responsibility lies with the federal government. This is their waste. It's there. It's been there for nearly 80 years. It's time to have it cleaned up. It's time to communicate with the community, as Kristen was just saying. And some of those next steps, you know, the simple thing, there aren't even signs along this creek to let people know this waste is there. So just think about that. You know, even if we're informing parents, kids being kids, I think of when I was a kid, I'd go play in the creek a lot of times. Kids are still doing that today. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it because they don't know. And there's not, again, there's not, there's not a barrier to access to many parts of the creek. There are not, no signage along the creek talking about this issue. That's one of those easy first steps. A bigger step that we would like to see happen is reopening that record of decision that came out in 2005, which guides the Army Corps of Engineers on the level of cleanup and where they test and what exactly kind of work they're undertaking along Coldwater Creek. Because we don't think it's thorough enough. We don't think it's keeping the public's health in mind at the highest standard it possibly can. So we would like to see a broader area tested, a broader area cleaned up when material is found there. Uh, We would also like to see uh, more stringent cleanup levels. Right now, the cleanup levels are not cleaning up to background levels of radiation. So the cleaning up is happening even, even in the areas that are being cleaned up. It's not getting back to where the environment really should be and was prior to this waste being there. Kristen, I, I wanted to ask, you know, you, you've had so much uh, opportunity to talk with people in these areas in this community. And as Jared mentioned, some of these folks had no idea that this radioactive material is near there. And I'm curious, what is their reaction when they learn that perhaps the, the water they've been using, bathing, sending their kids to play and thinking it's safe, when they find out that not only is, is there radioactive material, but that it was known for years, perhaps, what do they tell you? And, and what are the things that they need in that moment? Um, fear. Fear is probably the first thing. Um, and anger comes after that because, you know, they feel like they've lived there. These are people just living their everyday lives, people cutting their grass, people um, bringing, letting their dogs outside. Um, ATSDR report literally lists things that, that you should be doing to prevent exposure, and that is wiping your pet's paws off before they come inside, not having um, growing garden um, and you're in the soil. Um, there's a lot of things that they could be doing to prevent exposure, and when they find this out, they feel betrayed. They feel left behind. 
mind. A lot of people feel like, honestly, a government lab rat, that they're just being left to get sick and see what happens. And, and, and that we're kind of a national sacrifice zone here, you know? And, and why is it that we're approaching 80 years? Why is it that when the core estimates um, clean up to, to end in 2038, that's 100 years that this stuff has been sitting in our communities? I think most people are afraid and, and they feel betrayed by their government and just kind of left behind. Yeah. And for the people who are picking up those pieces, they can't just wait. They, they have to go back to school. They mm-hmm. have to keep their lives going. And Kate, I, I wanted to end with you. You know, we, we heard from Jayla, that fourth grader who had this, uh, what felt like a very mature kind of reflection on, on what her school closing down would be like. She It's so hard for the teachers. She said, I, I was seeing my teacher try not to cry because that that teacher's life is about to change as well of their workload. Little Jayla is also has to deal with virtual learning and she has, you know, the technology, everything that we've been talking about during COVID and the uh, the differing impacts of virtual learning. So what position are these schools in to, to make this adjust, adjustment, to make sure that Jayla has, you know, virtual learning that doesn't cut out with her internet or even to be moving uh, maybe some of these special education students or other students to other physical, um, other schools? Where Where is the school system at uh, at that point? Yeah. So like you said, we're lucky that the kids had been practicing virtual learning during the pandemic. They were already used to this. And so the school was able to kind of quickly pivot to virtual. But Many parents will tell you that their kid did not learn well from home. And I talked to one parent whose daughter has special needs, and she was still sending her kid to school all of last week, even though she knew about the contamination, because her child doesn't do well at all during virtual school. And so they say that they're going to give the kids new school assignments um, around Thanksgiving. So they do eventually want to send the kids to new schools. The, the Parent Teacher Association is really pushing to keep the kids together. They want them all to go to a new school together. And they even said on Friday that they are looking at um, a private school that they might be able to just use the facility. That's the PTA pushing for this, not the school district. So I think that they're kind of trying to find ways. They want the kids to be in person and they want to try to have them together. Kate Grumke is a education reporter with St. Louis Public Radio, and we're also here with Jared Opsel and uh, Kristen Camuso, who are both with uh, the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. Thank you both uh, for being here and talking about this issue. episode was produced by Maya Norfleet and Alex Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.